Hey everybody, I want to tell you about a reoccurring nightmare. I usually have ooh, four or five times a year. I wake up in a cold sweat after the beginning of my dream starts on the way to some sort of fabulous trip, maybe to go see my family. Hi grandma if you're watching in Florida or something. And I'm on the way to the airport and I don't have my ID. Or I get to the counter and all of a sudden my, my ticket isn't there. Or, or I can't find the gate. And for some reason I have so much fear and anxiety around this. And luckily it only really bosses me around when I'm on my way to the airport. I drive my family crazy. I like to get there early. I double and triple check everything. I double and triple check everybody's stuff. Do you have IDs? Do you have tickets? Do you have the papers? I not only have digital copies of a ticket, but I have the, the paper copies printed out. That's pretty much the only time in my life where fear and anxiety really messes with me and the people around me. But we're in the middle of a series about who's the boss? Do we let negative emotions boss us around? And uh, today I want to talk to you about fear. And Jesus talked a lot about keeping fear from being the boss of us. And I know a lot of us have a problem with this, and, uh, uh, but a lot of us don't have a problem with it. But maybe you should. If you're letting fear boss you around, it robs you of opportunities in your life. Fear, like I mentioned before, it, it impacts our relationships. Fear impacts our parenting. We can either become too aggressive in our parenting or, or too passive in our parenting. Oh my goodness, fear impacts marriages. Fear keeps us up at night. But did you know fear is not always a bad thing? Just right from the start, let's think about this, that fear is a byproduct of a couple of good things. Our ability to, to accumulate knowledge and to project that knowledge into the future. Uh, fear shows that <laughs> that we're processing the world and being able to, to predict things. It's part of what makes us human. Our ability to fear gives us the ability to imagine and dream and do things. Uh, the, same, the same components that fear comes out of also gives us the, the, the phrase, I can't wait for this to happen. Because you're anticipating, you can also anticipate something good that's about to happen or anticipate what if, if, if these things have happened in my life and these circumstances are, are here, maybe we could do this. What if we did that? So there is a place for fear, but we don't want it to ruin our lives. It throws us off balance. When we allow fear to boss us around, we become distracted. We can, we can have a, a narrow folk, too narrow of a focus because we're fixated on what we're afraid of and we can miss beauty and love and goodness all around us. We can become overprotective or we can become timid because we just don't want to get hurt again and we just don't want to lose that thing. Jesus said so much about fear and part of his journey was teaching his disciples how not to be afraid. It shows up over and over again. And Jesus says so many helpful things about this, uh, like this one. Here's one of my favorites. Fear not. Thank you, Jesus. That is so helpful. And Jesus, what he's saying when he says fear not, he says, don't let fear be the boss of you. 
but it's easy to say. Anybody can say, ah, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, but it's really hard to do. Now, uh, in our passage that we're going to look at today, the disciples believed in Jesus. They believed there was something about him. They were around him. They believed his teachings. But like you and me, they had a lot of trouble working it out. So uh, setting up our, our text today, Jesus is in the process of building up his group of disciples. There's a big crowd of them, but then there's a, a smaller crowd that Jesus is focusing on, his disciples, and then these 12 apostles were his closest group that he spent most of his time teaching and pouring into. And there's one speech where he says, hey guys, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. And he promises them, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be mocked, and you'll be beaten. And by the way, don't be afraid. <laughs> and he sends them out into the countryside to go all over the place and, and tell people that the Messiah has come, tell people the good news about Jesus. And all of that stuff did happen later. All of his disciples were ridiculed, mocked, beaten. And all of them, history tells us, except for one, died a painful death. But in this instance, Jesus sends them all out. Their first, their first uh, practice, their first uh, practicum of putting what they'd been taught into, into practice. And they went around preaching the good news and healing and saw demons. They were casting out demons. And they all come back. And they debrief the experience. And then Jesus takes them. I like thinking about this. On, he takes them on a field trip to teach them about fear, and we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. You know why they followed him? Because they were his followers. Sometimes it's really, uh, sometimes it's really obvious. But then they get in this boat on the Lake of Galilee. It's called Sea of Galilee, but it's a massive, massive body of water where storms do suddenly come up. It's not an uncommon thing, even in modern times. Uh, but in ancient, ancient times, it was the same way. And verse 24 tells us, Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So this is an unusually furious storm. This built boat uh, is rocking all over the place. Uh, not, not necessarily like uh, the cruise ship. They're not sailing Norwegian here. And they're far enough away that the, the, the rain and the clouds and the fog, they can't see land on either direction because of all this stuff. And it's loud. It's not a pretty scene. When I pictured this as a kid, I was pictured, oh, there's a couple drops and everyone's scared. No, like this is a furious storm. And verse 24 tells us that Jesus was sleeping. Now think about what you would do if you were a disciple. You were a seasoned fisherman or fisherwoman. You're on the boat and the storm's bad enough for you to fear for your life. You're not walking up to Jesus like I know a lot of you wake up your kids in the morning for school. Sweetheart, it's time for school. Might be nice if you wake up. Okay, maybe not all of you wake your kids up like that. They're going to Jesus. They went to him in verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going down! Now, I don't picture Jesus immediately popping up, going, oh no, 
and absorbing their anxiety and, and getting in the middle of it. Kind of picture Jesus propping up on one elbow a little bit, looking around. And, and the scene, it, the, the next words out of Jesus' mouth, this, this scene captures my imagination. It says, why are you so afraid? He's sitting up, getting up. And I imagine that he can't just say it nice and calm like I did. But I do imagine him using his voice to project. But almost ironically, why are you so afraid? <laughs> Having to yell over the storm. So this, this perspective from the disciples, like their brains had to just grind to a halt. What do you mean, why are we so afraid? Are you blind? What's wrong with you? I think at this point, it's appropriate to point out this isn't just a miracle story. Yes, Jesus is doing a miracle in the story, but Jesus is teaching them about fear because he walks over in verse 26. He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. There, there's no panic in Jesus. There's nothing in the text to indicate that, that there was even like necessarily a, an urgent, it was just direct, forceful. He spoke to the wind and waves and they calmed down. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't panic? Maybe we should just breathe that in for a second. God doesn't panic. What if there's a God watching over you who doesn't panic? I believe that's true. I believe that the God who created time and space and this planet, he doesn't panic. We panic. I panic a lot. But that's when we run to Jesus. That's when we experience Jesus' words coming true. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Like I mentioned before, this storm wasn't an unusual thing. This happened. On the, on the Sea of Galilee all the time. And yes, Jesus did speak to the storm and moved it away. And when he did, in verse 27, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Guys, this is the question. What kind of man is this? Not only can he do miracles, but he can be in the middle of a, a ferocious storm and still be calm and steady. He had, he had something that, that these disciples didn't have yet. And he was, he was literally giving them an object lesson of what it means to walk through the storms of life with God with you. Uh, Mark, the other gospel writer, captured the same story. And in Mark 4, 41, he, he says, they feared a great fear. Like they were overcome with this great fear. And then Jesus calms the storm. And for this little tiny moment in their training, the disciples felt confidence in Jesus. And, and Jesus overwhelmed their fear. And the lesson we can take from this is, is that we don't have to let fear overwhelm us because there is something much more powerful than whatever we're facing. That is one of the best pieces of good news from the life of Jesus. No matter what you're up against, 
God is stronger, God has more wisdom, God has more power than whatever we face. And a couple days later, Jesus debriefed this experience with the disciples. In Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 10, verse 28, he says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. To put it into our modern words, he says, don't be afraid of anything that can only kill your body. Another way to say it is, there's more to you than, than your body. And Jesus is using hyperbole here to make his point. This stuff that can just hurt you, if you're with me, you can have such a peace that you don't even fear that. And he continues, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And back then, sparrows were absolutely worthless. Huge image that not even these worthless things fall to the ground without the father's care. You are so much more valuable than that. He, he continues in uh, chapter 10, verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. God is personal. God knows what's going on in your life. God cares about it. And the good news is that God is already at work doing something about it. This is a God unlike any other the ancient world has known. And this is, this is something way bigger than any of our philosophies in our culture can offer. That we serve the creator of all of this and he knows what you're going through, cares about it, and is doing something about it. And so at this point, the disciples, they start to get it. They, they start to take their eyes off of all these things that they shouldn't fear and they're, they're keeping their eyes on Jesus. So it's time for another field trip. And like Pastor Ryan uh, preached a couple weeks ago, uh, talked about this this experience with them and and uh, was teaching on a mountain uh, and a big crowd of people came and dinner time came and left and the disciples are like, hey, we need to feed these people. Let's send them home so they can go get something to eat. And that's when Jesus famously says, you feed them. <laughs> and they, they watch Jesus perform this miracle. All right, the disciples are getting somewhere. So they've been out on on their, their first mission trip, basically. They go through the, the, the fear object lesson where Jesus calms the storm. Then they see Jesus feed just 5,000 men that were counted, probably 10,000, 12,000, tons of people. If you're a disciple at this point, your confidence is probably at an all-time high. And then we come to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. If you're Peter at this time, if you're, if you're John at this time, you're probably thinking, Jesus in a boat. Uh, hey, Jesus, do you remember the last time? <laughs> remember the last time we got in a boat? I don't know about this. But again, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into, a, get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So here we are, as disciples sitting in the boat, Maybe a little muscle memory kicks in. <laughs> Hours go by. No Jesus. 
sun sets, 10 o'clock comes, midnight comes, no Jesus. And then the text tells us, chapter 14, verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Okay, okay. Yes, we went there, Jesus walking on water. Now, I think we have to address it. Maybe you're, you're here uh, just checking this out. Maybe someone's invited you to watch this and you're thinking, oh, great. I haven't watched a preacher in a long time or listened to a sermon in a long time and now they're talking about Jesus walking on water. Well, I want you to think about something for a second. That as a Christian, we don't just believe that Jesus walked on water because the Bible tells us so. We do, because the Bible tells us so, but there's something even better. It's it, in the Bible, it's Matthew who saw it tells us so. Mark via Peter, who was in the boat, tells us so. John said so. These are three eyewitness accounts saying they saw it. It wasn't a mass hallucination. And all of these, all of these gospel writers told the embarrassing response to seeing Jesus walking on water. I don't know if you're familiar with how uh, historians assess whether a document or a story, an account is true, but there's something called the criteria of embarrassment. And it works like this. If you were just making up a story, if, if this was all a conspiracy, and you think, okay, we're gonna make this up, this is not the kind of thing you would include. Especially, they're documenting their own embarrassment, and I don't want to pass that over. So as they see Jesus walking out to them, literally on the water, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out to each other. So now they cried out in fear. So everyone who grew up in the 80s right now is hearing Scooby-Doo say, zoinks, like this is a Scooby-Doo moment. It's a ghost. Matthew is recounting this. Peter is recounting this. And in verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Guys, I'm here. It's just, it's, it's me, I'm here, don't be afraid. If I'm here, you don't have to be afraid. This is encouraging me. Uh, going through life the past 20 years, all the crazy ways the world has changed, it encourages me to know that these people who were with Jesus, hearing straight from Jesus' mouth these words, they feared right up into the very end. Sometimes we can kick ourselves in the pants because, oh, I should be further along. I, I should get this by now. Should, 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 should. Stop shoulding <laughs> all over, all over yourself. Be kinder to yourself. These guys, they, they, they went from this encounter. Listen to Jesus uh, in the next chapters talk about this new covenant that he's doing, this new agreement between God and humanity that he would be the, the sacrifice that would unite God and humanity again, that everyone would have access to God once they confess Jesus with their mouth and, and put their trust in him. They would hear Jesus talk about starting this new movement. Jesus laid down this new set of laws from God. Love one another as I have loved you. And then as they followed him, Jesus was arrested and they panicked. All these same guys that saw Jesus perform miracles, calm storms, 
walk on water when he was arrested by Rome, tried, they panicked. They split all but one of them. And they thought everything's over. And I, I can't really blame them for saying, okay, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, he doesn't get arrested. He doesn't get crucified. Somewhere we missed it. I don't blame them for thinking that. But then, a few days later, they looked into an empty grave. And then later, they met their living friend who had just been crucified. Then it clicked for them. See, resurrection isn't just for Easter. This has a, a practical, everyday solution, everyday application for us when we come up against fear. We serve a God that isn't even bossed around by death, yet we let fear boss us around. When they saw Jesus alive, Thomas puts his fingers in the wounds, sees them for himself. These followers were back in business. After the resurrection, everything made sense. In retrospect, oh, Jesus kept saying, fear not. Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid, I'm here. And that was the source of their confidence and their strength. They feared not. This phrase, it's, it's fun to kind of play around with because it, it sounds so simple and so hard. This phrase, fear not, it changed the world. Because when someone loses their fear of death, it's really hard to threaten them. You should deny Jesus, serve Caesar instead. The disciples said, what are you gonna do? Kill my body? No, no. We have nothing to fear. Fear, it's, it's a permanent part of our human experience. And there's lots of ways for us to cope with it, healthy ways, and unhealthy ways. But none of us, none of us wants fear to be the boss of us. Just think about Peter. I pick on him a lot. He's the, he's the apostle with the, the mouth that's just born shaped like a foot. He was in the boat. He was fearful. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He split. He even denied Jesus while Jesus was, was on trial. He was restored by Jesus after the resurrection. This guy, after seeing Jesus alive, became fearless in the face of persecution, in the face of hard times. And because of his experience with Jesus, later on in his life, he was able to write this, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I think Peter speaks with authority here. He faced things you and I could never, ever imagine. So I'm, I want to challenge you this week. When it comes up, when fear comes up, when you, when you feel that fight or flight kick in, I want you to say, fear, you are not the boss of me. I want you to talk to Jesus about it. Say, Jesus, help me to know that you are here. I want you to reach out Maybe, maybe that hasn't worked for you and you need to call in some more help and reach out to us or reach out to a friend that, that knows God and knows you and talk about it and pray about it and refuse to let fear boss you around anymore. So I want to say a prayer for you. If this is something that is an issue in your life, maybe today can be that first 
baby step into that unreasonable peace that God promises us, that we can face even things we should be afraid of, but we can walk in peace as Jesus takes us through these things. So I wanna invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and hold your hands out like you're about to receive a gift from God. Dear Heavenly Father, we declare right now, even over at the medium of the internet, we thank you that there's no distance in prayer, and we declare together that fear is not the boss of us. Jesus, we turn our eyes towards you, we put our focus on you, our, point our hearts towards you, and would you please make those words come true for us, that we have nothing to fear, for you are with us. Will you please send by you the power of your Holy Spirit. May your presence overwhelm us and overwhelm everything that we're scared about and give us clarity. So I pray for freedom from this, freedom for everyone who can hear my voice right now that's struggling with fear. So we lay our burdens down at your feet. And once again, affirm that you are the Lord of all of our lives, even our fear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for hanging out for a few minutes. Remember, Fear, you're not the boss of me. And until we're together once again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.